0: Welcome to the Mountain Park Church Podcast. We're excited to share this week's message with you. Our mission is to allow God to work in and through us, and we'd love to hear your story of how God has been working in or through you. Email us at mystory@mp.church and tell us how God has been working in and through you. We're kind of into this, um, the book of Ephesians, And um, I'm gonna start, if it's okay with you, with a little bit of review and a bit of teaching first, and then maybe preaching second. I, um, this week sat through about 12 hours of lectures from academic people on the Bible and things like that. And I saw that the one of them had 250 slides for a one hour lecture, um, so needless to say, I retained about five percent of what was there, um, but um, we're gonna I want to just show you some things visually so that we can move through them quicker and like we've been talking about uh the writer of Ephesians Paul, the writer of this New Testament book, he's written a letter to his friends, and um, I just kind of picture it this way: this is sort of Paul he's spent years in relationship with these people he's now in prison and it's like he's writing a letter um, and saying hey let's let's kind of sit by the fire and let's just overview and debrief some stuff some really important things about your life and my life about how we view God and how we view uh, the supernatural realm and so Paul in in the first chapters unpacking in this just sort of across, the bonfire conversation, he's unpacking some incredibly big things. And as much as um, we think, we we try and get a handle on like how to understand the Bible fully, um, just news for you. When we get to heaven, number one, we're not going to be omniscient. So we'll never know everything. Only God does. But literally for an eternity, we'll spend eternity getting to know God more fully and we'll never reach the end of that. So I'm finding even as I'm studying and reading hundreds and hundreds of pages of commentaries and and scholarly work and I'm trying to pray through things, I'm just discovering that like uh, the well is just getting deeper and deeper and deeper. And so I want to try and do my best with you today to just sort of create a bit of a quick high-level synopsis of chapter 1 so that we can move um, better into chapter 2. So uh, I quoted the verse already in Ephesians 6, which we'll get to maybe by 2032 or something like that. We, uh, Paul says, uh, for we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, meaning that our physical reality is not all that there is. And in chapter 1, Paul gives us a really high-level view of this. So I'm going to show you some stuff on the screen. And you guys can actually just leave it up as I'm just talking through those points so that people can uh, jot some notes down. If you want to use those cards in front of you, go for it. That's what they're there for. But Paul is kind of bringing to our attention this reality that there's two worlds that we live in the spiritual realm and the physical realm, and the two are interconnected together. He gives us this view that the whole thing was created by God, that God is the author of the spiritual realm, and he's the author of the physical realm. And it's not because he needed to create angelic beings or supernatural beings. It's not because he needed to create you and I. He doesn't need us for anything. The most amazing thing about it is that he wants us. He created us because he loves us. He created us for relationship together. He doesn't need you and I to do anything. He doesn't lack anything. But Paul is painting this picture of God that is so grand and so otherworldly. But at the same time, it's so high and lofty but so intimate that the God who created the cosmos and the billions and billions of galaxies that we even know about, the universe that is almost unmeasurable to us, that the God that is that large that the Bible says he holds the universe in the palm of his hand, that he created humanity not because he needed us, but because he wanted to. Paul says in Ephesians 1, it was his good pleasure to do it. That he's made you and I for relationship together. And so let's just go over a couple of things that Paul talks about. These are the big picture things that Paul is unpacking in Ephesians 1. Um, The first thing is the identity of God. So to fully understand even how to walk out our Christian faith, we need to get a grasp of the identity of God. And I'm only using verses and references from Ephesians. So there's lots more to go here. But um, he pictures God and, and declares God as father of humanity. He's the originator and initiator of humanity. He says he's our father. He adopted us into his own family It's us who belong to his dear son. He chose us in advance. When you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own. He purchased us to be his own people, his holy people, that God, out of his own good pleasure, created us. He's the father of humanity, that he's also the father of the spiritual realm. He's the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the reason that that's even in there, we say, well, Christ was a human. Yes, he was, but he was also God. And Paul talks about God um, creating and fashioning Christ and us before he even formed the world. That in the supernatural realm, God was doing things that we can't even understand ahead of time. That he actually, uh, we are inherently spiritual beings. And so is Jesus Christ. He purchased our freedom with the blood of his son, identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit. God has put all things under the authority of Christ. Next one. So God is the father of humanity and the father of everything in the supernatural realm. He's the creator of the spiritual and natural realms. Even before he made the world, he's the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father and Son are one. So the Bible talks about Jesus being called God by the Father, that Jesus referring to God as his Father. John 14, Jesus saying, If you've seen the Father, you've seen me. So Paul is beginning to paint a picture of this most high God who exists, as we'll find out, in a triune relationship of Father, Son, meaning Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit, who's a person. The Holy Spirit, Paul doesn't really dive deep into the Holy Spirit here in this text, but we need to remember the Holy Spirit is a person. He's not a force. He's not some kind of ambivalent power, that he's a part of the most high God. He's a part of the triune God. So God is the creator of the spiritual and natural realms. God is most high. He has no equal every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. You can't give everything if you don't own everything. I can't give to you something that I don't myself possess. And so in Ephesians one, it talks about God placing everything under the authority of Jesus. It talks about God possessing every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, meaning to say that God is higher than all of it. And he does with it what he wants to do. He brings everything together. He makes everything work. He's far above any ruler and authority or power or leader. He's put all things under the authority of Christ. He made Christ head over all things. So God is the most high creator of the spiritual realm and the physical realm. That's the Coles notes from that, if you just want to jot that down. <laughs> Number three, God is the sovereign. the sovereign and sovereign ruler. Paul opens the whole uh, epistle of Ephesians by saying he was chosen by the will of God. God works from the decree of his will. He's sovereign over everything. God loved us and chose us. It was God that initiated with us. He decided in advance to adopt us. This is what he wanted to do. He purchased our freedom. He forgave our sins. His marvelous will is for us. His own good plan was what he is accomplishing on the earth. He will bring everything together. He chose us in advance. He makes everything work according to his plan. God, God, God. You are not the center of the universe, and neither am I. That it's God who loved you before you ever even thought about him. That it's God who, before the world was created, had you in mind. That it was God who initiated every good thing in your life you've ever experienced. That God is the author and the originator. In a theological term, he's the uncaused cause of everything. God is sovereign and he's over all. Next one, Paul addresses some of the character attributes of God. He's generous, loving, holy, relational, gracious, kind, sacrificial, forgiving, wise. He's a God who reveals his joy, for you and I, is actually to reveal himself to us. In Proverbs, it actually says that it's the glory of God to conceal a matter, but it's the glory of us, of kings, literally, it says, to search it out that God has not uh, designed this whole thing that we're living in to be some big fat mystery that we can't figure out. Sure, there are deep things to God that, that we'll never know and understand, but he's actually a revealer of himself to us. And his invitation to you and I is, would you actually want to know me? Because if you do, I'll tell you about myself. If you do, I'll show you who I am. He's a revealer. He's faithful, powerful, and merciful. These are so important for us to grasp and understand because these are the very things that the devil, the enemy of God, will seek to undermine in your life. And if you don't know the character attributes of God, if you don't know what he's like, you're not gonna know how to discern where to go when the pressure's on, when things are coming apart at the seams, you're not going to know where your true north is. You're not going to know where to root and anchor yourself. And God is saying, I've revealed my character to you so that you would know that I'm faithful. I'll never leave you or forsake you. So that voice in your head that's telling you that you've gone too far that God can't forgive that sin or that, that, that you're just useless junk, that you've been abandoned by God, that's, that you haven't been created for a purpose or a reason. The character of God would say otherwise. And these are the things that we need to understand in our heart so that when we're under attack and when we're pressed down and crushed, we're not destroyed. And yet these are the very things that the enemy will come and whisper into our ears, just like he did in Genesis 3 with Eve. Would God really do that? Why would he withhold that thing from you? God's hiding something from you. God's not hiding anything from you. He's inviting you to know him. God's character. Paul talks about the identity of Jesus, part of the high God, the triune God, the most high. God, the father of our Lord Jesus. Jesus is divine. Jesus is a mediator. And Jesus is king in heaven on earth and on earth. Jesus is alive and Jesus is omnipresent. He fills everything everywhere. Jesus doesn't need to take a taxi or an Uber to get to you to try and fix and and walk through stuff with you. He's walking with you. Whatever you're going through right now, Jesus is there. He fills everything everywhere with his presence. All authority in heaven and on earth and on earth are his. He's alive. The Holy Spirit, there's not much here. Paul talks about him as God's seal and God's guarantee. Paul talks about our identity in Ephesians one. This is what he says about us. We've been blessed. Next time you're tempted to just go on a diatribe of complaining about everything going on in your life. Remember that you've been blessed with every resource available to you in the heavenly places. I felt God really convicting me actually of this this week. So I was in prayer in my hotel room one of the mornings this week and I like you may or may not know I I take time and actually pray structurally through the Lord's prayer every morning and takes about an hour to do or something like that. But I, I've been simply doing that to ask the Holy spirit to teach me how to pray, to disciple me in prayer. And when I got to that part where Jesus says, um, Oh, what does he say there? I've <laughs> been doing it for an hour for a year. Uh, Oh, give us a stay our daily bread. Right, right. Yeah, that part. Um, as I've been praying through that over the last year, um, less and less do I think of that as just like uh, literally food or monetary things. Jesus said that he was the bread of life, the bread that came down from heaven, that actually in Jesus, is all the provision of God for our lives. And I just sensed this one morning, just the Holy Spirit gently but pretty firmly convicting me and saying, you've scorned my blessing in your life. The very things I've done to bless you, you've rejected them as not good enough. You've complained about my provision for you. You've turned your nose up at the opportunities I've given you. And more than that, you've complained about how I've made you and how I've gifted you. And I just sensed, I actually wept for quite a while as the Holy Spirit walked me through a bunch of things. Even going back into my childhood where he was showing me these moments where I've been bitter and complaining. Where I've scorned the blessing of God in my life where I've rejected it, I've kicked it to the side and said, it's not good enough, God. It's not what I wanted. It's not what I desired. Could I be someone else or could I be somewhere else or could I have this person's gifting or that person's gifting? And God just reminded me this week that I have been blessed and that every day he's providing blessing for our lives. We're loved, chosen, we're set apart, adopted. We're in Christ, we belong. We're saved by grace, we're set free, forgiven. We're heirs and we have power through Jesus Christ. So what was God's plan according to Paul? God's plan is that God would take the spiritual family he created, the spiritual realm and the earthly realm and bring them together under the rule of Jesus Christ. That's why the Bible starts with creation in Eden and ends with creation in Eden. One day when Jesus comes to rule on this physical earth, if you wanna learn more about heaven, you can listen to our series from back in May and June, but one day Jesus will come back in bodily form and rule on the earth with us, restoring the divine and the natural, restoring humanity and God to his original design. This is what Paul is saying. God's heart from the beginning was, he chose you because he wanted to, because he was looking and desiring for relationship with you. And that one day he's going to reset everything that's gone haywire on this earth. That his plan is to bring everything together. That his plan is to live with us in intimacy and relationship. His plan is to unite the divine and the human together again in perfect unity. And his plan is to give us an inheritance that we would rule on the earth. And so that's the overview of Ephesians 1, as best and most concise as I could make it. Now, I only have an hour and a half left here. So, and it's hot in here. Can somebody turn the air on? I feel like I'm dying up here. <laughs> I was going to say it last week, and then I didn't want to make it awkward for people lis- listening on the podcast. But if you're listening on the podcast, it's really hot in here. So if we could just like, just get some air flowing in here. Amen. My, yeah. <laughs> Amen. It's the best thing you've said all day, Andrew. It might be. It might be. I care about you. All right. (laughs) Empathy is not my number one quality. All right. So that's what Paul says the, the design of God is. That's the design. That's God's intention. But there's a problem. There's something that has corrupted that desire of God and that design of God that's left us as we'll see in chapter two, verses one to three, that's left us spiritually dead. That's actually imposed an influence on this world and on our lives that God never meant for, that he never meant for. We're gonna cover this, we did a bit of this yesterday, but I I just wanna cover this. Ephesians two, verse one to three, if you have your Bibles. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world. I want to stop there. Let's finish off with obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. I just want to stop there. When Paul says that we're dead, he's not talking about physically dead. He's talking about being spiritually dead. That Greek word is nekros. And it means to be no longer alive, spiritually dead, lacking emotion, sympathy, or sensitivity, unable to function effectively. Apart from God, we can't function in our optimal state the way that God has designed us to function. And so Paul is saying look, before God restored his plan through Jesus Christ, we were all dead. The consequence of sin and death on this earth is spiritual death. We've been cut off from relationship with God by the enemy of God. That's the problem. It's a condition that we've all been born into. Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In Psalm uh, 51, David says, Surely I've been sinful from birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. We were born into this world under the penalty of sin and death. We need a solution to the problem that we face. It says in Psalm 53, 1-3, There's no one righteous, not even one. So what's the picture Paul is painting? He's painting a picture that the whole world is compromised and under the control of the devil. We sang a song about God being sovereign and in control, so to speak. But the Bible teaches us that there's a conflict happening, that yes, God is the most high God. But he's created you and I and the spiritual realm with the ability to choose. It's a word called free will, which we're going to talk about in one second. But Paul is painting a picture that affects all of us. That this earth and humanity has been compromised. That that word world in the Greek means order or structure. It's a system of values and beliefs and morals that stand in opposition to God. That word also kind of has a connotation for government influence and control that everything going on on this world left to its own devices without a plan is spiraling into further chaos and destruction. Paul says, literally, you used to walk. You may say that in your translation. In mine, it says you used to live, but he says you used to walk, which was a, just a common metaphor for one's conduct. It's how you carry yourself. It's this, the decisions and choices that you make. The best example that I can come up with for this is found in the Old Testament. Well, there's two, one in the Old and New. We're gonna go there really quickly. What does God mean and what does Paul mean when he's saying the whole world is under the influence and control of the devil? Deuteronomy 12, 29 to 31, that's in the Old Testament. This is a story of the Israelites after they've come out of Egypt, God has freed them from slavery and bondage, they come out of Egypt. And this tiny little nation is surrounded by nations all around them. And God has some very specific instructions for how they are to engage with the world around them. He says, when the Lord your God goes ahead of you and destroys the nations and you drive them out and live in their land, do not fall into the trap of following their customs and worshiping their gods. This is really key here. Do not inquire about their gods, saying, how do these nations worship their gods? I want to follow their example. You must not worship the Lord your God the way the other nations worship their gods, for they perform for their gods every detestable act that the Lord hates. They even burn their sons and daughters as sacrifices to their gods. I want to flip with you in the New Testament a parallel Verse or verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Paul is talking to the church in Corinth and he's addressing this issue that they had of these people giving their lives to Jesus but not knowing what they should or shouldn't do. Like how do I live in this world and not hide in the basement but actually kind of follow God your plan and your desire and your design for my life? 1 Corinthians 10:14-19 to 23. So this is Paul giving them some instructions. What am what am I trying to say? Am I saying that food sacrificed to idols has some significance or that idols are real gods? No, not at all. I'm saying that these sacrifices are offered to demons, not to God. So Paul is making this distinction here. This culture and this group coming out of the pagan religions of their day would be tempted to and be drawn to go back to the temples they used to worship in and uh, eat food that was sacrificed to idols. They would be tempted to, in addition to their faith, have idols and um, necklaces and charms and things like that that they had all over their homes that were dedicated to these other gods and these other deities. And Paul is saying, look, that thing on your shelf, it is just a piece of wood. There's not, like It's not a real God. You know, you can wear a cross around your neck and it means nothing. It's a piece of metal. Paul is saying, look, there's these idols and they mean nothing. They have no power. They have no authority. But behind these idols are demonic influences and powers. And when you engage in going to places you shouldn't go to or doing things you shouldn't do, you're making yourself vulnerable to the attacks and assignment of the enemy. You're literally putting yourselves into the hands of demonic powers and influences. And so what Paul is saying is you've got to be smart and wise. Why are you playing around with that stuff? Why are you reading your horoscope and engaging in reading tarot cards and in witchcraft? Why are you messing around with that stuff? Why are you creating an idol out of Harry Potter? Honestly, the spells and, like, why are you drawn to that? What Paul is saying is, look, that stuff has no power over God, but there's an influence behind it that's destructive for your life. And in the same way in the Old Testament, the reason that God said, don't even inquire, don't even ask what they're doing, is because he knew the slope was very slippery. And that as they saw the practices of the uh, religions around them, that they'd be tempted to adopt them and to modify their faith. And isn't that the truth today? That, that, that we don't want to be weird and we don't want to be known as these Christian people who um, are, are bigots and are, you know, whatever it is the, the world labels a, a Christian. We don't want to be that. So, so let's just add a few more things in so that we can kind of make it more palatable for us. And so we go places, and we fool around with Eastern mysticism, and we entertain ideas of karma, and and we engage in things like yoga and other things like that. We talked about that last week, and I'm just opening that can again, but we do it, and we go, oh, it's fine. Ah, there's nothing to that. I don't even believe in that stuff anyway. And little do we know that we're opening the door of our life to influences and controlling influences that have no desire for your well being, but every desire to rob you and kill you and destroy your life. And Paul is saying, watch out and wise up that this world is filled with an enemy influence that wants to take you out and undermine your life your family, your health, your joy, your peace, your calling, all of it. He wants it all to burn. And what Paul is saying is, look, God had this plan. This is not what God wanted for us. But because of sin and because of the devil and because of all of these things, he highlights three influences that we're covering the first of, the world, the devil, and our desires. Paul's saying those three things will kill you if you're naive to them. And so what Paul is addressing here in the context of the world is this this false notion that nothing really spiritual happens. If you believe that you can read tarot cards or your horoscope daily, and actually make an agreement with those things that you actually are asking for and wanting their influence in your life. What you're doing is you're saying, yes, I want to receive what you have to say over me. I want to receive information or knowledge or power or anything like that, and I want it from you. When you take that posture and position, you literally unlock your front door, you fling it open to the demonic realm. Now here's the contrast, like we mentioned yesterday. Paul goes to great lengths to talk about the supremacy and authority of Christ that there's nothing that we even open ourselves up to that God does not have power and authority over and that he's not given us power and authority over. So we don't need to walk around terrified of everything all over the place. We don't need to walk in fear, but we need to be wise. When I was uh, just out of high school, some friends of ours got kind of a hold of some of this idea And they decided, I was living out west, and they decided to go down to this river bottom area of the city we were living in in Alberta. And they decided that they were gonna pray over these ancient medicine wheels from the First Nations. These ancient areas where the First Nations people covenanted themselves with the demonic, where they offered sacrifices and made agreements with the demonic. So this group of people thinking that they were now like, ah, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength and I'm just a superhero and God, Christ is above everything and, and I'm invincible. So they go down and they pray around these medicine wheels. Fine, nothing happens. They come home. Within 10 minutes, they're all violently sick. All of them puking their guts out. Luckily I wasn't there, but I got the phone call. Hey, Andrew, uh, Something weird's going on here at our house. Everybody's violently barfing all over the place, which is super disgusting. Uh, But we don't know what's going on. I said, well, what did you guys just do? And they told me. And I said, well, I know what's going on then. You've addressed something spiritually you had no business going into. God had not invited you to go do that. So you're, you're, you're picking on a bully that's way bigger than you and now you're paying a price for it. I've seen that same thing traveling through the Middle East, through India and Africa. Our rationalistic, postmodern enlightenment minds are leading us to destruction when we believe that there's nothing beyond this veil of the natural and so this tension Paul calls us to live in is that we need to be wise, but we don't need to be afraid. We need to think twice about the things you're letting your kids watch. I'm not talking like, I don't know if you, I, do you remember, I, I did this at least two or three times where I smashed all my CDs and burnt all the stuff. Like where I thought, you know, I just went through and hundreds of CDs, I smashed them. Um, it'd be like today, smashing your iPods and iPhones if you had lots of them. I don't know why you'd have lots of them, but anyway, if you had a whole big binder full of them, like we did CDs back in the day, remember that? Because they were evil and I didn't want them and so I smashed them and then about a week later, I'm like, oh man, I really missed that album. Like, <laughs> Now it's going to cost me twice as much to rebuy all that stuff. And you can download them song by song then. You have to buy the whole thing. Um, and so what I'm not suggesting is, is that you just go crazy and that you teach your kids to live in a bubble of fear. I don't want my kids to be afraid when they walk down the street. But I want to loudly critique what the world is imposing on them as right and normal. I want to loudly critique what we invite into our house through the television or internet. I wanna loudly teach them about the realities of the supernatural realm. And so Paul is saying, look, once you were dead spiritually and you were under the influence in captivity to these forces that are greater than you, but Jesus has come He died for you, he loves you, and he's actually invited you to walk with him in victory. Acts chapter 19 is the story from Ephesus. This will just underscore it. I'm just gonna read it. I'm not gonna comment a ton about it. Acts 19, this is in Ephesus, this is happening. A group of Jews was traveling from town to town, casting out evil spirits. So they were treating this like it was just like, hey, Seems like a good thing those guys are doing. Let's try that on our own. They tried to use the name of the Lord Jesus in their incantation, saying, I command you in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a leading priest, were doing this. But one time when they tried it, the evil spirits replied, I know Jesus and I know Paul, but who the heck are you? I added that one word in there. It's not in the Greek. <laughs> then the man with the evil spirit leaped on them, overpowered them, and attacked them with such violence that they fled the house naked and battered. The story of what happened spread quickly all through Ephesus to Jews and Greeks alike. Get this, so this is the result. A solemn fear descended on the city and the name of the Lord Jesus was greatly honored. People were throwing around Jesus' name like it was a parlor trick and they were paying a dear price for it. There's a clash of kingdoms that's happening. But Paul says there's three things that are necessary to remedy it. He says that we have a choice in the matter, that God has given us a will and we can choose to believe and accept the work of Jesus or not. There's three things the Bible says we need to do. Number one, repent, Mark 1.15. I'm not going to get into that in full detail. Number two, believe. And number three, receive God's grace. So Paul is painting this picture. And in one minute, we're going to talk about predestination and foreknowledge. No, I'm just kidding. Well, we are going to talk about it. It might take just slightly longer than one minute. Paul is painting this picture in Ephesians 1 of God's big cosmic plan, that he chose us, that he uses the word in there, predestined us, that he loved us, that he set us apart. There there is this element to our world that that is actually, um, we need to understand that before we've made any choices, God actually created us and loved us, and predestined us to live in relationship with him. That's the macro plan of God, is that he predestined in his heart and in his desire, he said, I'm creating my angelic and my human realm as family because I want to live with him. You and I have been predestined to walk in relationship with God. We've been predestined to live in that reality. But Paul also says that we have freedom to believe and choose. You and I have been given one of the greatest gifts ever and that's free will. You can choose to believe anything I'm saying or not. You can choose to believe that there's a cosmic battle going on or not. That's your prerogative and your choice. And God respects that choice. I want to leave you with a thought with this. That God's foreknowledge, so God's omniscient, he knows everything from all time, everything. But God's foreknowledge of everything doesn't mean that he predestines every single decision that you and I make. You and I are not robots at the control of this tyrannical God person. He knows what's going to happen in our life, but he allows you the ability to choose and decide. I'm going to read one last scripture here to illustrate this point. In the Old Testament, 1 Samuel 23. This is how this kind of plays out. This is the best way for us to kind of wrap our heads around This idea that we are chosen and predestined, but that at the same time, God has also given us a will. 1 Samuel 23, 1 to 13. So David and his men, they're on the run from Saul. They're hiding, they're afraid. One day news comes to David that the Philistines, their arch enemies, were at Keilah, stealing grain from the threshing floors. David asked the Lord, should I go and attack them? David's not the king yet. It's really Saul's job to do it. But David asked God, should I go and attack them? Yes, go save Keilah, the Lord told him. But David's men said, we're afraid even here. We certainly don't wanna go to Keilah to fight the whole Philistine army. So David asked the Lord again, and again the Lord replied, go down to Keilah for I will help you conquer the Philistines. So David and his men follow the leading of God. He's asked God, God has said, go do it. Go bring justice there and freedom there. So they go down. They killed the Philistines, took their livestock, and rescued the people of that city. Now, when Abathar, son of Ahimelech, fled to David, Keilah, he brought the ephod. The ephod was a thing that the high priest wore or priests wore in the Old Testament that was part of the way that they discerned the will and voice of God. Soon Saul learned that David was Akela. Good, he exclaimed. We've got him now. God has handed him over to me, for he has trapped himself in a walled, town. Look at the difference in perspectives there from Saul to David. David is going in obedience to God and Saul thinks God has handed David to him on a platter for his evil intent. So Saul mobilized his entire army to Keilah and to besiege David and his men. But David learned of Saul's plan and told Abiathar the priest to bring the ephod and ask the Lord what he should do. So David goes back to prayer. Then David prayed, Lord God of Israel, I've heard that Saul is planning to come and destroy Keilah because I'm here. Will the leaders of Keilah betray me to him? And will Saul actually come as I've heard? Oh Lord God of Israel, please tell me. And the Lord said, he will come. And David again asked, will the leaders of Keilah betray me and my men to Saul? And the Lord replied, yes, they will betray you. So David did what any of us would do. He and his men, they got out of there. They hightailed it out of there. God knows exactly what's gonna happen. God knows what the consequences of our decisions are going to be, but he allows us to make them. And the point of this story is to illustrate that the heart and the desire and the design of God is that we would live in the kind of relationship with him that he destined us for, that we would actually be able to avoid unnecessary pain and heartache in our life. And yet so many of us are so wise and so confident in ourselves that we barrel ahead with our plans and our design. We know what's best. We know what kind of outcome will happen if we engage in this. And we determine our own future. And when we do that, we bring on ourselves unnecessary pain and trial and heartache that was never the heart of God. So this picture that Paul is is portraying here is one of cosmic struggle. And he's saying, don't get caught in the crossfire thinking you know best about your life. The invitation for you and I today is to humble ourselves, admit we don't know the best thing always, and ask God for his leadership. At least then in part, we will save ourselves from unnecessary pain and heartache. I wanna leave you with this verse here. Ezekiel thirty-three, eleven. As surely as I live, says the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure. Listen to what he's saying here. This is God speaking. This is thousands of years before Jesus or hundreds. I take no pleasure in the death of wicked people. I only want them to turn from their wicked ways so they can live. Turn. Turn from your wickedness, O people of Israel. Why should you die? God's heart for you and I today, he takes no pleasure, even when the most wicked people on the face of the earth suffer the consequences of their actions and their decision to reject God in their life. He takes no pleasure in their pain or in their suffering. God takes no pleasure in your hurt or my hurt. It grieves the heart of God. And I think it doubly grieves him when we just decide to do life our own way and incur on ourselves the pain of this world that's under the influence of the devil unnecessarily. Why don't you stand with me as we close? I want to leave you with a thought, a practical application for this. The last phrase of the Lord's Prayer says about God, this is Jesus saying, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I want to leave you with a thought about that as a way to maybe engage in this in a practical way. We know in the original language that that prayer, there's no, there's no questions in there. That actually prayer, prayer is the aorist tense, which means that they're declarations. So what Jesus is saying is, God, make me aware today of the traps and assignment and influence of the enemy of God over my life. God, open my eyes to see and my ears to hear you. God, I don't want to fall into temptation today. I don't want to be an innocent victim or bystander because I made a dumb choice or decision. God, open my eyes. Don't lead me to that place. Lead me a different way. God, protect me from myself. Protect me from the enemy forces around me and give me wisdom and discernment as I walk out my life today. Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me, God, from the evil one. God, protect me from making decisions that will hurt me or harm me. Protect me from seeing things incorrectly or from making assumptions that lead to my pain This is the prayer of Jesus. The one that he modeled for us every day was to get on our knees every morning, acknowledge we don't know what's best or what's right, acknowledge we need God's help to see the world for what it is and our life that day for what it is, to give us the vision and the clarity and the discernment we need so that we don't experience unnecessary pain. God, if there is activity of the enemy out against me today, show it to me. Show me how to turn left when the enemy wants me to turn right. Show me how to avoid the pitfalls of falling into temptation. God, lead me. And that's the heart and prayer of Jesus. I wanna encourage you as we leave here today. I don't know why I emphasize leave so desperately, but I want to encourage you as we leave today. (laughs) Um, I don't mean to yell. It's just I have large lungs. Um, I want to encourage you as we leave today that there is a spiritual battle going on. That Jesus has all authority And if you've given your life to Jesus, you do too. And that what God wants to do in your life and my life is lead us out of relationship. God doesn't desire for you to experience heartache and pain tomorrow that he never wanted for you. It grieves his heart. So we need to be wise, we need to be discerning, and we need to be like David, asking God, what do I do? Where do I go? We hope that you are challenged and inspired by what you heard today, and that you're willing to allow God to work in and through your life in bigger ways this week. We'd love to stay connected with you on social media, facebook.com slash mountainparkchurch and instagram.com slash mountainparkchurch Finally, if you have a story of how God has been working in and through you we'd love to hear it Just email us at mystory@mp.church at and tell us how God has been working in your life lately